0: Amen, amen. Thank you, girls. If you have a uh, Bible with you, let's turn to John chapter 3 this morning is where we're going to be. I think as I get older and uh, my kids get older, one of my favorite uh, joys in life uh, has been introducing them to real music. Some of y'all kind of know what I'm talking about. If you've ever had the joy of riding around with preteens or teenagers uh, in the world, I hear those groans, I'm with you. And you sit there and you start listening to their music, if that's what they want to call it, music. Now, I don't know about anybody else in this room, but I I grew up on uh, uh, 70s, what what is now called classic rock, or maybe it's called vintage rock now, I don't know, it, it keeps getting older. But so like Leonard Skinner and Queen, like I'm all in, uh, rock on baby. And then you get these other groups that I can't even figure out what it is they're, they're doing these days. And it's a great joy to sit there and listen to uh, your kids sing to something. Now we'll say this, uh, I will go ahead and admit this in front of God and everybody this morning. You can judge me, it's okay. I think I can take it. Um, not a super big fan of all the new music, but I happen to say this, I, I do like that Bieber kid. And so if I have a guilty pleasure every now and then riding around in the car, Justin Bieber may be that guy coming up uh, every now and then of modern music. But one of the greatest joys is, is, is um, Bev and I, we, we take, go long trips back to Oklahoma. And so some of the times when our kids aren't connected to their own little device, we'll be playing some music that we kind of grew up with, whatever, you know, whether it was 90s country, back when country was country, like George Strait and Garth Brooks, And uh, Alan Jackson, back when Real Music, um, some of you are thinking, those guys, there's Conway Twitty, don't forget about that guy. I understand, like, everybody changes when it comes to music, but we'll introduce kids to, like, music that I grew up in the 90s, so sometimes it'll be like Bone, Thugs, and Harmony, for those of you guys who know what that is. Um, So we'll have some rap going on there every now and then, and back when P. Diddy was Puff Daddy, we'll play some of that, Um, so for that rap, rap stuff, but I also, I like rock and roll, it's kind of where I kind of I tend to, to navigate to. And so we'll play some, some rock music for them. And it's always really cool to watch their faces as if they're, they listen to it and they say, I'm not even sure what I'm listening to. This is not music. And it's the same face I'm making as they're listening to their stuff saying, this is not music. One of my favorite types of music in the rock world are what I like to call rock operas. And it's not that it's like this opera music, but it's like this this awesome you know, rock and roll that's kind of visual and has a great, you know, even a, a growing up in the MTV era, era the, the great music video that went along with it. And I think about songs, rock opera that I like, that I would consider rock opera, would be like uh, Queen, Bohemian Rhapsody. Like the way that that song just kind of works, it starts slow, it builds, it goes, it does all kinds of cool stuff, and it's just like you just jamming. Like by the time it's done, you're all in the car. And if you've ever watched Wayne's World from those of us from the, the you're in the car too, doing the whole, you know, just, you're just killing it. You're loving it. And you're, you're just going nuts in the car. And the people in the car next to you are going, what are they doing? And you're like, I don't really know. But one of my other favorite ones that we'll do all the time in our car um, is uh, my other favorite rock opera song would be um, Meat Loaf, I Would Do Anything For Love. And some of y'all are singing it right now. I would do it. You're singing it. You're, ready to you're going to get in your car in a second when you go home, or you're going to lunch, and you're going to be killing meatloaf on the way home because I've reminded you this morning. But I would do anything for love was the name of that song. And I remember going home after school, getting off the bus, walking in to, uh, uh, to the house, and turning on MTV's TRL. And we would sit there and we would watch the videos of the top 10 or top 20 videos, whatever it was, in meatloaf when it came out in 1993. Was the longest running video, most requested video of that year. They had to retire it. They had to retire the video. Because if you remember the video, it was a mix between uh, Beauty and the Beast and Phantom of the Opera. And it was because it was just, and that's you talk about some other good rock operas right there, right? But you sit there and you have this, you have this just this incredible like music behind you had this video and it was just awesome. But the whole song was I Would Do Anything for Love. And you guys are, remember it. You remember in the motorcycle, you're remembering the beast. the video. You're remembering all these things about that particular video. But it's interesting that word love, I would do anything for love. We have a weird sense of love in the world today. In America, it's kind of hard. We have a lot of different, uh, we have one word, for love, and it encompasses a whole bunch of different ideas. There's brotherly love, there's erotic love, and then there's the sacrificial love, the self-giving love, which we will talk about today as we look at John chapter 3, verse 16, the most famous verse in all of Scripture, and we've all more than likely have it memorized in one version or another. Love is interesting. It gets us to do weird things. Guys it love, you know, will sit us in front of a TV watching musicals one after another instead of somebody getting shot and blown up. And we do it. Why? Because of love. Ladies, it happens, you may be sitting in a, in a golf cart on a golf course um, looking at your phone because you could care less about golf. And your husband's a golfer and you're sitting in a golf cart because you love them and you want to be around them. Love's a weird thing. I've always heard these stories. I've never seen it happen, but you've heard stories. Uh, maybe you have. Maybe we've just heard these stories in Oklahoma because there was nothing else to do but make up stories in Oklahoma. But, but you've heard stories about, like, a mother's love for their kids and how um, there was always this weird story. It probably never happened, but how, like, um, uh, some kid was trapped underneath a car and the mother went up next to the car. You know, she was every bit of uh, four foot nine and weighed 75 pounds. And she lifted a 3,000 or 6,000 pound car off of their kid. I don't know if you've ever heard those stories, but we heard them a lot in Oklahoma. Maybe we, we need to have better drivers in Oklahoma. I don't know. Um, but, she, but the mother's love, a mother that, the, the love that a mother has for her kids, It's powerful. In John chapter 3, John recounts a meeting between Jesus and Nicodemus and where he talks about love. So whatever our concept of love this morning, any human picture of love, whatever we can come up with, whatever we can imagine, pales in comparison to the greatest love that has ever been displayed. And that is the display of Jesus dying on the cross for us. In John chapter 3, this meeting between Jesus and Nicodemus um, is the most famous conversation probably in all of Scripture. Nicodemus, first of all, was a Pharisee. And many of y'all are thinking in your mind, as probably I am now, if you've watched in the Chosen series by this point. And so every time you mention Jesus, you see the actor playing Jesus now as Jesus. You see uh, Nicodemus as Nicodemus. like You see James and Peter and John. You see all of these guys as these characters, and I think it's fascinating. And so I see Nicodemus and I see Jesus that was uh, in, this, in, this, in this, um, uh, this video or this, this movie that was displayed through Chosen. And I see these two guys, again, having this conversation. Nicodemus being a Pharisee, he had devoted his entire life to the understanding of Scripture. What was known as Scripture at the time, which was all the Old Testament. Now, if we were here, to, if, if we were in Israel, we were having this conversation or whatever today, and you were born a male, Everybody, every male in, um, in Israel, when they were born, they had to begin to study the Torah. Most all of them, they had two options whenever you became 12 years old um, and, and you became a man in, the, in their society. You had two options. You could either, one, you could be a, a Pharisee, a scholar, a scribe, one of those types of things. You could go into this whole priesthood if you will or you could be an apprentice you could go into the family business whatever that was and we see Jesus as being a carpenter so by the time you were 12 years old most every single Jewish male in the time of Jesus was born had memorized the first five books of the Bible memorized now we've talked about this before I think at some point but that's the hard stuff that's the stuff that we glaze over that's like Numbers and Deuteronomy and, and Leviticus. That's like all the stuff that we don't want to... They have all this stuff memorized. And by the time they hit 12 years old, they go stand before another one of these um, rabbis and they get kind of quizzed and the rabbi decides whether or not he, they're, they're, they've made the cut and they can come and be a part of them and study the, the, the scriptures and become a Pharisee, become a rabbi, all that stuff. Or they have to go and they say, you didn't cut it and you get to go be whatever it is your parents were. That's kind of where they're at. So you took about... You look at like Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He had been through all this stuff. He is incredibly familiar with scripture, um, the Old Testament and knew what it was all about. And he'd been teaching it. He devoted his life to teaching other people how to understand Scripture. But here's Nicodemus, a Pharisee. And you guys know the the relationship Pharisees had with Jesus. You have this Pharisee, Nicodemus, who was curious about Jesus' teaching. And he had questions, and Jesus graciously, graciously Met with him to answer these questions. Now, the Bible's interesting. John chapter 3. We see that there was an agreement when they came to meet. They they came to meet in the evening. And we kind of wonder why was it that they meet? Why did they want to meet in the evening? Why could they not meet in just the regular afternoon at a coffee shop? Hey, just meet me down here at the coffee shop. We're going to talk. That's how we do it today. But whatever happened, whatever the reason was, we kind of understand is that, that. Nicodemus wanted to have a conversation with Jesus but didn't, didn't want anybody to see this conversation take place. And so, so Nicodemus has these questions and he begins to ask Jesus about this new birth that he was talking about and about salvation. And then Jesus gets to this little section where he begins to talk, he begins to ask or begins to explain to him about this new life and this new birth, this salvation in which Jesus is talking about. And if you look in John chapter 3, verse 14 and 15, you'll see that Jesus here says, again, familiar to what Nicodemus what he said, would, have, uh, would have known and had been studying all of his life. And he says, And Moses lifted up the servant, serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Again, very familiar with this particular story. This story comes out of Numbers chapter 21. The Israelites had been wandering in the desert, and they were sick and tired of being in the desert. God had provided them everything that they need, food, water, everything, and they were just tired of it. Look at Numbers chapter 21, verse 4, if you're following along at home. The Bible tells us, from Mount Hor, they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, and the people became impatient on the way talking about the Israelites. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. They're talking about the manna that what God had sent to them to take care of them and to sustain them. And the Lord had said, I'm, that's it, I'm done. I've had enough with y'all. It's like, it's like a parent reaching around trying to get their kid in the back of the car, you know, just like you got that hand swinging, just trying to make contact as you're going down the road. Quit hitting your sister. My I mean, it's just my car. And so what happens in verse 6? The Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people. So many of the people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses, and they said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed to the people. Prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent, and he set it on a pole. And if the serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. And so this is the story that Jesus is alluding to when it comes to salvation. He said, Just as, just as the, Moses made the fiery serpent and the people looked upon it, so the Son of Man will be lifted up, Jesus says. So Jesus' mission was to come and to take on human flesh, as we see in John chapter 1, verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He was going to live a perfect life. He was going to die a horrific death. And he was going to defeat death by resurrecting from the dead for you and for me. And according to Jesus in John chapter 3, verse 16, this was an entirely a consequence of God's love. So this morning, we want to look at how This coming of Jesus, or the advent, reveals God's love. And the thing that we have to know, first and foremost, is that God's love is revealed through his Son. God's love is revealed through his Son. John chapter 3, verse 16. Let's do something a little bit different this morning. We've already read it once, but many of us have it memorized, and so as we read Scripture this morning, let's just do it from memory. It could be a different version. Some of you have the King James Version. I learned the NIV version. Some of you may have ESV, New American Star, uh, Standard, New Living Translation, whatever it is, this morning, or you can read it from up there. It's up to you, whatever you want to do. But this morning, let's just say John chapter 3, verse 16 together. Are you ready? We can do it. Kids, you ready? Help us out here. Some of us are old and our brains aren't synapsing like they used to, all right? All right, let's do this together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. We know it. We know it. We learn this as kids in vacation Bible school. One of the things, the first thing that we can think about or that we can notice rather in this particular verse is that God's love is personal. He says, for God so loved the world. Now we're familiar with scripture and we've heard this preached a number of times to know that there are many different words in in the Greek for love. We've talked about it. There's the, the, the brotherly love, which is phileo, which is like Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. That's where we get that. It's this friendship love. There's eros, which is the erotic love, where we get erotic from, talking about sexual love and intimacy. And then there's the agape love, which is we hear all the time. And we talk about agape love is the love that God has for us. So when we talk about the 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 word here for agape, this agape, what does that truly mean? What does it mean to have agape love? Well, Warren uh, Wiersbe said the word used here uh, for love is agape, which is love that sacrifices for the good of others. So it is love in spite of the other person. Regardless of what they do, we still love them. Now, that's a hard thing for us to do in, in our world because in all reality, love for us is conditional if we're honest with one another. And I think we can be honest, hopefully, in this room. That love is conditional in, in our world. It's if this happens, I will continue to love you. If you do this, I will continue to love you. Even in our relationships that we have, husbands and wives, it's, it, there, it is, in all reality, conditional. If you meet these certain standards, I will continue to love you. And if these standards aren't met, I'm moving on. It is somewhat transactional in that regard. But agape love, agape love is different. Pastor David Jeremiah says agape gives when it gets nothing in return. It does not even think of getting something back. He says that this, it is this type of love that God loved the world, referencing us, all of humanity. He says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. One and only, it's a a great word. It's a Greek word, and it's monogenes. Now, it sounds great if you put a little bit of an accent on that. Guys, let me give you a little tip. You're at home this afternoon, you're watching football, your wife's sitting next to you on her phone because she doesn't care about f- football, but she loves you, and you just look over to her, and you look at her, and you give her the smolder, you know what that is, right? Kind of, if you can lift your eyebrow, I don't know if you can, I can't, I gotta lift them both, and uh, you give her the smolder, and you look at her, and you say, you're my monogamous. It means one and only, but say it with an accent, and it'll sound really good, it sound really nice, thank me later. It means unique. There is is none other in existence like it. Monogamous. It's stressing the great and unprecedented nature of this particular gift. It's the same words that's used in John 1.14. When John writes, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory, glory as of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. It is unique. There is none like it. Also in John 1.18, it says, No one has ever seen God, the only God. It's the same word used in, those, those both, in both of those places. And God had sent His one and only Son, His only begotten Son, His beloved Son, In Luke chapter three, verse 21 and 22, God calls Jesus his beloved." You remember as he was being baptized, and after he was baptized and the, the heavens opened up, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form, as Luke 3: 21 and 22 says, "Like a dove, and a voice came from heaven says, "You are my beloved son. with you, I am well pleased. I am well pleased." Now, one of the hard things, and I, I understand, there's, the Bible is not difficult. I'm sorry, the Bible is difficult. There's some difficult things to, to understand. There's mystery in it all, and there's faith that has to be exercised as we read Scripture and as we follow Jesus. And one of the most difficult things um, is, is some concepts of of. of Jesus becoming a man that's difficult, being born of a woman that's hard, like what does that mean in and, and this relationship of God's son? And I've got some family members who have a really, really difficult time with with this this idea or trying to understand that God, who is a loving father, would ever send. How would a loving father ever send his son to be crucified? And I get the difficulty. I understand the difficulty. It's a difficult concept to figure out. Muslims have a hard time with it too. They claim that God could not have had a son because they think Christians are talking about a, a a literal biological offspring of the Father and Mary. Now, I don't want to go too deep into the weeds here to try to keep this about as about as simple as I can we can get it here, and I think we can handle this, but when we talk about God's son, that's, that's supposed to help us understand this relationship between Jesus and God. But when you go back to John chapter 1, verse 14, he's not talking about a son. He's talking about God becoming a man. It is God himself who is Jesus. So when Jesus goes to the cross and we try to understand it just in our earthly terms of, a, of this relationship between um, Mary and Mary having a son and conceived by the Holy Spirit, his name is Jesus. And how do we wrap our mind around all this? stuff? So the Bible said the best way that we can do that is by by basically coining this, this, or using this term that everybody's familiar with, by having a son. It is God's son. Yes, it is God's son, but it is, in fact, God becoming a man. When God sent his son, God wasn't sending his son, Jesus. God was sending himself to the cross because he loved us. He's not talking about a biological relationship. Throughout the entire New Testament, and especially in John, sonship Refers to the innate or the intimate spiritual relationship between God and Jesus. So, God loved us so much that He sent Himself to die on the cross. Not a literal biological offspring, but an intimately connected relationship with the Father. And so, God the Father gave His best and He gave His unique Son to die for your sin, and for mine. His love is personal. It wasn't an afterthought. It wasn't a last-minute gift. Oh, oh, it's Christmas time. Yeah, I got to get these people something. What is it going to be? No, it wasn't that at all. It wasn't that at all. He did not send the B team. He did not send in backup. But he sent himself to die for us because he loved us. So that first thing is that we know that God's love is personal, and the second thing is that God's love is powerful. What did his love do? Well, we pick up in the text, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish whosoever. It's not limited to anybody. That's you, That's me, that's your kid, that's your, your next door neighbor. That is every single person. That's, that's the whole Muslim nation on the other side of the world. That is my friends on the other side of the world sharing and spreading the gospel uh, through the International Mission Board. It is whoever, the whosoever believes in him. That's you and me. That was me in October of 2016. I'm sorry, 2016. Oh my gosh. That's funny. Of 1996. Close. <laughs> the numbers are a little bit off. Like, this guy's been, he's been here since, well, I guess he got saved right before he came. So it was. So 1996, that was one of the whosoevers that believed in him. To believe just simply means to have complete confidence and total uh, total reliance. Who believed in him. It's not knowing about something. It's about believing in something. I can believe information about Jesus. Most everybody in the world believes that Jesus walked the earth, that he was here. Even the atheists believe that Jesus was walking the earth. We can believe information about him, but believing in him means to place our entire being, our future, our safety, our everything, and most importantly, our eternal life in his hands. And what happens that whoever believes and him will not perish, will not perish. The Bible tells us that because of our sin, that we don't live up to God's perfect standard. And we must be punished. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. But God here powerfully makes a way for us to be delivered from that result. And so the truth is that you and I, by birth and by our actions... Uh, are in trouble and we can't escape. It's like quicksand. No matter what we do, no matter what we had to do to try to save ourselves, we just continue to sink. We are hopelessly stuck. And any any, any efforts made on our own just make things worse. But because of God's powerful love and only because of his love, if we believe in Jesus, we will be delivered from our just punishment because we deserve what it is that's coming for us because we have sinned, we have turned our back on a holy God. But his love is so powerful, and he provided this way of escape. By placing our faith in Jesus, Is how we escape perishing in a place called hell. But this deliverance is only found by believing in Jesus Christ, The third thing that we see in this passage of Scripture is that God's love is seen perfectly in the person of Jesus. So His love is seen perfectly in the person of Jesus. The Bible is very, very clear that in Him, if you believe in who? If you believe in Him, not in anything. We're not believing in Allah or Buddha or Shiva. Definitely not in ourselves. It's believing in no one else but Jesus. That if we believe in Him we will not perish because his love is seen perfectly in the person of Jesus. So if we spend our lives trusting in someone else or something else to save us, we're going to be disappointed. It's a life of disappointment. And God has provided a way out, but again, it's only through Jesus. So if we're depending on our own good deeds to save us, we're never going to do enough. If we're depending on our on our parents' faith to save us, students, children, you're going to come up short. And if you're depending on anything else to save you, you're not going to get what you're wanting. And our trust and our dependence, our confidence, and our reliance must be in Jesus alone. And the fourth thing is God's love is permanent. God's love is permanent. This is the verse that, the verse here ends with a, with a promise. He says that you will not perish, but you will have eternal life. Whoever believes in him, Jesus, will not perish, but have eternal life. Eternal is a word that is, should, should scare us. Should, should, we should have fear in our hearts with the word eternal forever, never changing without end. And this eternal life, this, this forever, this, this God-given existence with him. So if we believe in him, we will not spend eternity or in a place called hell, but we will spend eternity with him in heaven. So we are promised not just our punishment, but, but something we definitely do not deserve, which is eternity with him. God's love is forever for those who place their entire being into Jesus' hands. Their entire being. It sounds kind of complicated, but all it really means is that you have to come to the place where you are willing to believe that Jesus' way, it's... The life according to him, what he desires, is way better than our own desires or anybody else's uh, ideas about how we should live our life. Simply put, God's permanent and eternal love and is, is, uh, life is promised to you if you will give yourself and your life and all you are over to him. If that happens, his permanent and eternal love And life is promised to you. So if we're a Christ follower this morning, then you should should be brought to a whole new place of thankfulness. We should sit there and we should think about what God has done for us, and we should be grateful and we should be thankful. And we should remember all that God has done for us. And the second thing that should happen is this this desire or this this thankfulness and this renewed sense of thankfulness and remembrance that we have and what God has done for us should give us this desire to go out and to make sure that other people know that what we have is available to them. What has been given to us is available to Him. What a great opportunity in this time of Christmas to go around and to talk to people and to share people, to share about Jesus. Why? Because it's on their lips. Every single thing that they say during this year. Merry Christmas as you leave Kroger is there. What do you know about Christmas? Tell me what you think about it. The opportunity is there, why? Because the words of Jesus are on their lips, whether they know it or not. So we should have this desire to help others know and understand God's love. The coming of Jesus reveals God's love to us. And God's love is such that he gave his son Jesus to die for you and to die for me. If you're here today, you don't have a relationship with Jesus, or maybe you're far from God, and this is all making no sense to you. I get it. I was there. Been there. My prayer is that your response today, as we here just shortly will stand and we'll sing together. Your response this morning is, is to come and come into come into faith, come believing in Jesus that all that He has done for you. Accept the gift that He has given to you and experience eternal life, and eternal joy, and eternal love. So will you, rec- will you receive the love of God today? Will you give your life over to him? Would you- will, you- will you come realizing that you're done running? Or maybe come realizing that there's something going on and you can't figure it out, like there's just something in the back of your mind and in your spirit that you just can't quite discern and figure out. We would love to have those conversations with you. All we have to do is we have to surrender to Jesus and say, I am yours from now on. What you say goes, you are in fact my master. You are my savior and I will follow you. This great love is yours if you will give yourself to Jesus this morning. And so the question for you today, if you're far from God, you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you've never come to faith in Christ this morning, is that will you receive him today? Will you receive him today? If that is you, I would love to have that conversation with you. Here just shortly as we stand and sing, we'll have my friend Dave and Jeremy. They'll be up here at the front as well. If you want to talk with one of them, talk to myself. We would love to be able to have those conversations with you. That you would not leave this place today without coming to know Jesus as your Savior and Lord. For us Christians, this should, whether it's at the front here, the steps in, in prayer just shortly, or that's your seat, it should, we should <laughs> gratefully thank the Lord for what He has done for us. That's how we respond this morning. So there's always a call to respond. How will you respond this morning?